today we are going to wrap up our series, Born to You. Born to you. And we've been in this series over the last several weeks looking through the book of Luke. And, you know, in this season, especially, and I hope many of you had, once again, a great Christmas and you received all the, did everybody get everything that you wished for? Nobody, right? <laughs> Still wishing away, right? Uh, but, you know, those gifts and having a great time with that, it reminded me of a story, even as I was preparing for this sermon this morning, about two are actually three brothers that had actually went away and they had prospered exceptionally well. And they thought it would be nice after they had prospered so well to buy their elderly single mother uh, some gifts. So they had bought them, each one of them had bought them a gift, bought her a gift. And after that was over, she had actually written a letter back to the boys because the older son had bought her a brand new home. The middle son had bought her a car and the younger son had bought her something extremely unique. He had bought her a parrot and he bought her a parrot that could actually quote the entire Bible, right? The entire Bible. So after it was over, they, they got a letter back from their mother and they kind of got together and they talked about this letter and this is what it read. It said, David, your, your house was so nice, but, but it was just too big. It was too large for me to be able to clean up. And Joseph, your car was so nice, but all the buttons and all the computer on the dash, I couldn't drive it. I just couldn't understand it. But Frankie, I just want you to know, your simple gift was the best. And I enjoyed that chicken all so much when I had it for a little humor anyway, right? <laughs> It is the season to be able to, to gift, and we see over the last several weeks that we've been able to look in God's Word, and Pastor's been able to unpack this incredible gift that God gave us through His Son, Jesus Christ, that He was, that he was born and that He came into this world. We saw the miraculous, even the, uh, that night that we talked about at a candlelight service, that how the miraculous way that God even presented His Son and the obedience of all those that were involved. And today we're going to wrap up that story in Luke chapter 2. And we can see in this passage of scripture how Jesus comes into this world. And in Luke chapter 2, we're going to see the bookends of this story of Jesus actually as a young man. And this is very significant to the book of Luke. And I'd love to invite you, if you have your Bible this morning, to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2. If you don't, there's a Bible in front of you. It's a pew Bible, and you can turn to page 1027, 1027, or at least that was the page number of the pew Bible that I looked at. If you don't have a Bible this morning, please know that is a free gift to you this morning. We'd love for you to take that Bible with you. You know, it's in this season that it seems like the volume gets turned up on a lot of things in our life, whether it is relationships. And I know uh, during the holiday season, probably you guys don't deal with this, but I know in my family, sometimes you can have that, that relationships that you gather around at Christmas and there seems to be always that, that crazy uncle or that tension within the family, you know, or, or there's something that's going on, but it just seems to crank up the volume in family and relationships or even occupation or job or career, or all the things that are coming up in our lives. Je Jeannie and I recently were at, was at Burger King down on State Street, and we were having lunch, and there was a lady that was next to us, and she reached out to us, and she had mentioned Jeannie's ring that she had on, and she said, well, I love your ring that looks very similar to my ring, and she began to share with us, and this lady began to unpack that she had a son that was a doctor, and her husband used to be a professional ball player, and just had a great, great season, but one of the things that she shared with us 
consistently was that her husband would have been 89 years of age had he still been alive. And that place, that booth is where she and her husband went every single week to have lunch. And there she was sitting in that booth, reaching out to us. And she said, I just love the opportunity to be able to, to connect and to share and to have conversations like this. And it was a great reminder for me and my wife that during that season that so many are looking for community, looking for relationships, looking for a way to connect. And I believe this passage of scripture today will illustrate to us and the truths found in this, how we can not only have that community, but how we can connect with God and the promise and the deliverance of God's son through his birth. And this passage of scripture illustrates to us today that we can experience that relationship and we can have that gospel and we can have that community, not only with Christ, but with other believers. So if you have your Bible, let's look, let's just begin looking at Luke chapter two, and we're just going to read a few verses and then we're going to unpack some truths of this. Let's start with verse 21 through 24. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, which is Jesus, he was named Jesus, the, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary, they took him to Jerusalem to present to him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Verse 24. And to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves are two young pigeons. Now, one of the things that the truths I want us to look at, an observation of this, is that Jesus Christ was born as the Messiah, but yet he was able to identify with sinners. He came to minister to sinners. And the reason that we can see this is that Jesus lived a sinless life. He was born into this world, not an inherent sin, but he was born in this world sinless. He lived a sinless life. But yet we see that he goes through the rite of circumcision. He goes through this understanding or this ritual of circumcision. And it was for a twofold significance. The first one was that it was a testimony that mankind is fallen and we need purification. We have that sin nature in our life and we need that justification and sanctification through Christ. But it also shows us that circumcision was not only an act of humility on Jesus' behalf, but it was also an act of obedience to the law that Jesus, he and of himself would fulfill that law. And the reality is, is that once again, Jesus isn't born to sin. But he comes with that gracious sacrifice, even as an infant demonstrated what he would do one day on the cross. This ordinance was, in this case, a pledge to his future perfect obedience, that he would sacrifice himself, that we could have that community, that we could have that connection, we could have that relationship with God. I love what C.S. Lewis writes about this. He says, the, the eternal being... He's talking about God, who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only man, but a baby, and before that, a fetus in a woman's womb. I mean, the reality is when we see this passage and we unpack it, even as an infant, Jesus Christ demonstrated his love for us, his commitment for us, his dedication for, for us. For that lady at Burger King, he came that she could have that community, that relationship, and that encouragement even in her life. 
I mean, true dedication. It's not like the, the boyfriend who's writing to his girlfriend and says, if this world was a desert, if it was the Sahara Desert, I would crawl across that desert and that heat on my knees to get to you, my love. He says, if this world was an ocean, wave after wave, I would swim through shark-infected waters to be able to get to you, my love. And I look forward to seeing you at the ball game this Thursday if it doesn't rain. <laughs> Jesus isn't giving us a commandment just based on temporal. It's, it's something that's everlasting, right? It's his love. It's, it's something that's unconditional. That he'll never love us any less or any more than he does today. He loves us. And even as a child, he came as the Messiah, but came to be able to minister to sinners to us, that we could connect with him. Let's move on. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35. Here's what the scripture says to us. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and he was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Look what he says in verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I love that. I bolded and underlined that which you have prepared in the sight of, of all nations, a light to revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people Israel, the child's father, mother, that they marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to his mother, Mary's mother, this child is destined to call the fall, falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul so as well. I love this passage of scripture because Simeon, this, this devout follower of Christ, this one that was recognized, we see that the same spirit that provided for Simeon's support of hope also gives him joy. He experiences joy and fulfillment. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be able to hold Jesus Christ as that child and to have your spirit resonate and have that joy to know that literally you are holding physically the salvation of humanity. Can you imagine that? That's kind of mind-boggling. You may want to like later tonight after, or this afternoon after you've eaten and hanging out in your lazy boy or on the couch, just think about that for a moment, to physically be able to embrace salvation. Simeon here, we see that, you know what? He's able to embrace salvation physically. And, and after he says this, he says, you know what? Now that I've done this, Lord, you can dismiss me because he had promised that he would see the Messiah before he was able to go on to heaven, before he died. And now that he's seen him, he says, God, you, you can send me home. Everything else of this world, nothing else matters. What matters is that I have that salvation and I have that grace and I have that experience in that relationship with Christ. So, so many of us in our world, we chase after so many things that, that really don't matter, right? I, I went over to this morning, uh, I, I, heaven forbid what the lady thought I was doing over there this morning at 6.30 this morning at Myers picking up some magazines. But I, th I thought we could kind of look at these magazines of what we focus on in the world. You guys ready? 
People Magazine, the royal couple doing it their way, right? Jane Fonda at 80, love life and what I've learned. <laughs> of course, this is horrific. The nastiest divorce, right? We've seen all about this, but also the royal couple, his $75,000 gift to his wife. Man, that is something I want to know about, right? Justin's out with Jen's BFF, her best friend, right? The things that we chase after, the things that are important to us. I love this one. Whittle your middle, <laughs> right? Whittle your middle. Drop 10 pounds in seven days, quick relief. 10 soups that heal. <laughs> Unbelievable. Lose 70 pounds in 56 days. I can help you out with that. Water every day for 56 days, right? Ease anxiety, cures insomnia. Isn't it amazing the things that we chase after in this world? Egos and logos and houses and cars. I have been at the closing table, or as soon as it's over, with a couple out to eat after they got their dream home. We are so excited about closing on this dream home. It is everything God gave us. We are so excited. They signed the papers, and at lunch, they said, we are so excited about that dream home, but we've been thinking, I think we're going to knock out the back wall, and we're going to add some, right? We chase after these things. Max Licato says this, God loves us too much to indulge our every whim. Our every whim. You know, during the Christmas season, I read a story about a young man that he was unwrapping his gifts. And he was unwrapping these gifts and he opened up a pair of socks. And he unwrapped another gift and it was a pair of socks. And he kept unwrapping gift after gift and it was socks after socks after socks. And he started kind of becoming emotional. He says, I started out being able to kind of thank my parents and, oh, another pair of socks. You guys are so awesome, right? And it kept going and going. And he began to get emotional because while he was unwrapping socks, his younger brother was unwrapping toy after game after computer game. And he became so emotional, they ended up going to the bathroom and he started crying. His mother came and knocked on the door and said, listen, you, you need to come back. He went back in the room and she said, she said, listen, this is your real gift. She said, the reason why we did all those socks, we just wanted you to have something. He unwrapped it. It was a brand new Apple computer. <laughs> he said he felt so horrible, right? And the reality is, is that how many times do we focus on the things of this world that really don't matter? But like Simeon that focused on truly what it meant to embrace salvation and the grace of God and that relationship that he would have. And after that, it was Nothing else mattered. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. What is more, I consider everything else a loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them rubbish. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Isn't that encouraging? That not only do we see that Jesus comes to this world as the Savior, but is ministering to those that need him. And even Simeon recognizes that and his spirit resounds with that, that he experiences that joy and that salvation. And that even in a season that the volume gets cranked up on everything, relationships and job and family and finance, that we can find the joy that surpasses and the peace that surpasses all understanding in Jesus Christ our Savior. 
This passage goes on. I'd love for you to look with me. Chapter 2, verse 36 and 40. Not only do we see that Christ identifies with us and he comes as a savior and Simeon recognizes him, but we also see that the devout recognized him as savior. Luke chapter 2, 36 through 40. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived in her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child. To all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and grace of God was on him. What we see here, even, even Anna, this, this aged prophetess, this, this prophet, Anna was one that was in the house of the Lord. She dwelt in the temple and she was always praying in her spirit. She, she gave herself to prayer. She gave herself everything that reflected that of God in her life. And it appears many scholars even talk about that she'd been maybe even close to 100 years of age. But, but this, this incredible matriarch that is in this temple, so many had looked to her. And here's Anna that sees this child and Anna thanks God. And after she recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, she shares that with others around her. The scripture says that she spoke to all who look for redemption in Israel. This passage for me really not only highlights the fact that she recognized Christ, but she was recognized as one that was devout, one that was someone that was devoted, someone that we can see that loved Christ, and she was recognized. Many of us may remember the, the sitcom that was called Cheers. You guys remember that? And there was a guy that would walk into the place and everybody would say what? Norm. Norm, that's right. Can I share with you, there's a big difference between somebody calling out your name because you frequent a bar very often <laughs> versus someone identifying and recognizing us because of our life and the reflection of Christ that we have in our everyday actions. Anna is this person. She is reflected in her dedication to Christ and how she follows Christ. But I want to, I want to share with you guys this morning, when I read this passage, it not only encourages me and, it, and highlights the fact that Anna is dedicated to Christ, but it also reminds me personally that we not only have to be dedicated to Christ, but we need to ensure that we are devoted and dedicated to the generation behind us. Can, can I share with you, church, today? Yes, we dealt with temptations and challenges and alcohol and sex and all the challenges that are out there, but the levels in which we dealt with it and the levels in which our children deal with it today are astronomically different. And I would charge us even today, if you have a child, a grandchild, or maybe you are a parent again, a grandparent raising your children's children, please don't check out. Make sure that we reflect somebody like Anna. And I encourage you even this morning, if you've got a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, I would love to encourage you to write these four things down. One of my mentors gave me this, and I'd love to give to you even today. In our culture today, I believe every child, every teen, every college student, every young adult needs four specific people in their life. First and foremost, I believe every young person needs a model. 
They need a model. They need involved parents, not pals. They need guardians that will help steer them and encourage them. They need a model. They need to be able to sit by somebody that opens up the word of God, that teaches the word of God, that praises God. They need to see that in their life. I can recall as a student pastor being in my office and having a mother drag her son in by the ear and saying, tell the pastor what kind of magazine I found under your mattress. And over the course of 15 years, that began to dissipate because no longer was a magazine, it was found on mobile devices. We need to have parents that are modeling what it looks like to follow in guardians. Number one is a model. Secondly, we need a mentor. We need a mentor. Every young adult needs a mentor. I believe Anna would have been an incredible mentor. Somebody that would have poured in. That's why we have D groups. That's why we have the apprentice program. Uh, that's why Ryan Brown and Brennan Bannett and their team and all those that are involved there, Rob Tuma and Nicole, get involved to be a mentor in their life. Mentor these young people. Third, every young person needs a monitor. They need a monitor. You're getting ready to go where? With who? With that on? I don't think so. <laughs> right? Let's extend that dress a little bit further. Our young man, let's, let's put a belt on, right? Every child needs a model, a mentor, a monitor, and last but not least, they need a motivator. Somebody that's encouraging them, somebody that's lifting them up, that's helping them to identify with where God is leading them in their life. They need that motivator to help encourage them. I believe Anna would have been this. I believe Simeon would have been this. When a Hebrew wife would give birth, that Hebrew midwife would come in and she would take that baby to another area of the home and they would have a pablum. It was like a sweet pablum that they would make, almost kind of like a honey. And they would put that just on the tip of that baby's mouth. And before long, that baby was, would want to nurse and they would take that child back into that mother and that baby would want to nurse. I believe part of our responsibility is people that are devout and following Christ is to put the sweet taste of God in the mouths of the generation behind us. We've seen in this passage that Jesus came and identified with us, that Simeon was able to embrace salvation, the devout recognized him. And last but not least, we see what it looks like to find Christ. Luke chapter 41 through 52. Every year as Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem and the festival of the Passover, verse 42. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I, we've been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he's saying. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. 
But his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Here we see that, that Luke shows us the account of when Jesus was 12 years of age. And I believe the reason why he includes this account is to show us that even as a boy, Jesus was anything but ordinary. I mean, his mother Mary and his stepfather Joseph, they would have been considered ordinary parents. But Jesus is, is anything but ordinary. And even this action, this story, as this block of text is bookended by Jesus in the temple as a baby and Jesus in the temple as a young man at the age of 12. Jesus was anything but ordinary. And he was where exactly he was supposed to be. I heard a story about a family that was out shopping and they had gone through several areas and found themselves in the back part of the store and looked around and the little three-year-old boy named Matthew was lost. They couldn't find him. And can you imagine losing your child during the Christmas season in a mall, especially today? And the parents just became frantic and panicky and they started looking for everywhere and they were running up front to be able to call out to the store to tell little Matthew to come up. And about that time around the corner, here comes granddad and guess who's got with him, right? Little Matthew. And they were just like, oh, you know, hugging him and where have you been? And they were like, where did you find him? And the granddad says, well, he was exactly where we left him. He was standing right in front of the candy aisle. <laughs> he says his eyes were gigantic, just staring up at the candy aisle, right? The reality is, is that boy was where he was supposed to be. He stayed where they were at, but they went off and they left him. And I love this illustration because when we look at this passage in scripture, where did they find Jesus? He was, he was in the temple. Do we really think Jesus was scared or frightened? I, I don't. When his parents found him, they said to him, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So many times if we're chasing after the things of this culture or the world, if we're not cautious, we'll become so busy that we'll find ourselves losing or beginning to create a chasm between our relationship with Christ. that we find ourselves putting so many things in front of Christ that that intimate relationship, that community, that connection, that, that salvation experience begins to dissipate. And in a season like this, we can find ourselves really, truly, if we're not cautious, focusing on the things that really don't matter, even as Simeon did, and Paul reminds us. And maybe you're here this morning, you can say, John, you know what, I've... I've, I've never had that relationship with Christ. Or, or maybe you're here this morning, you can say, man, I can remember a time when I was passionate about Christ. And when, when I had the opportunity, I would have been like Anna. I, I would have immediately told others about Christ. I would have been not, not only bold in my faith, but I would have been passionate about my faith. Or may, maybe you're here today and you can say, John, you know what? I need to be that model, that monitor, that, that motivator. I, I need to rise up and embrace that. We need to find that relationship with Christ, especially on the brink of a new year, right? Isn't it great that we have these calendar years that we can hit refresh? <laughs> the same spiritually that we can, we can hit refresh, that we can take that step to Christ and we can make that wise decision. There was an airplane that was going down and there was four people involved on this plane as it was going down and there was only three parachutes. And immediately, as soon as the pilot came on and said, we're going to crash, 
the smartest man in the world, the richest man in the world, the smartest man in the world was one of the first, grabbed a parachute out the door. Richest man in the world grabbed a parachute out the door and the two were remaining and it happened to be a little boy scout and a pastor. And the pastor looked at the little boy scout and said, son, I've had a great life and I know I'm gonna go on to see Jesus in just a little bit. Why, why don't you take the parachute? And the boy scout said, pastor, it's okay. We're gonna be fine. We've got two parachutes left. The smartest man in the world grabbed my backpack. <laughs> My encouragement to us today would, would be, let's, let's be wise in the choices and what we're holding on to in this world, what we think will deliver us to safety. Let's make good decisions in our relationship with Christ. See, God loved each and every one of us so much that he had this perfect plan, God's design for us. And that design was perfect. And we begin to chase after things that, once again, that really didn't matter, whether it be finance or addictions or whatever. And that created this chasm we know is what's called sin. And that leads to brokenness in our life. But can I share with you? We, we have the good news. The good news that Jesus came as that baby and that he came to be our savior that he was born a sinless life, that he died on the cross for us and shed his blood that we could have that forgiveness and that remission of our sins. And if we repent and believe in that and knowing that he rose on the third day, that we can experience Christ, we can experience that good news, we can have that joy and peace as Simeon expresses, as Anna, this devout follower of Christ that we can experience that same kind of relationship and community with Christ. And through that, we're able to pursue in that relationship and restore what it looks like to have that community with Christ. And that's the gospel, right? That's the good news. And maybe, maybe you're like Jesus' parents. Maybe you've had an experience that you've moved away from Christ and maybe he isn't where you would love for him to be. But can I share with you, Jesus is right there and he's ready to receive you. He is right there, and he'd love to have that relationship with you. 